Mark chapter 16 and reading from verse 1. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had bought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulchre at the rising of the sun. And they said among themselves, Who shall roll away the stone from the door of the sepulchre? And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulchre, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. And he saith unto them, Be not affrighted. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen, he is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. Go your way, but go your way. Tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him as he said unto you. And they went out quickly and fled from the sepulchre, for they trembled and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. Amen. May the Lord also bless this reading to us. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is the most beautiful, the most comforting, and the most suitable confirmation of God's plan of salvation that were possible. There is still some time to go before the ascension of the Lord into heaven. Some 40 days the Lord was with his disciples, not constantly, but at various points throughout those uh, 40 days. But this resurrection of the Lord is surely the glorious conclusion to our Saviour's ministry, his death and his burial. Because by rising from the dead, the Lord Jesus Christ's work was honoured and he was honoured. Christ's resurrection displays his victory and his success in his work upon the cross, in his life and his ministry and in his death. The Lord's labours may well by all natural criteria would have been assessed as being unsuccessful. Probably, uh, to be kind, you would have said it, it was a valiant but an objective failure. And certainly, I suspect that the Lord's own disciples, right at this very moment, considered that this was the case as far as the Lord's life was concerned. 
I can imagine these disciples sitting around, reflecting and suggesting where things went wrong. What might have been done differently? What could have been done better? They would have thought back perhaps to some of the miracles when the thousands of people wanted to take the Lord and make him king. And they would have wondered if only we had struck then, if only we'd moved then, if only we'd marched to Jerusalem then, if only the people could have been harnessed and gathered then, how much more successful, how much different would the outcome have been? But the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ puts all such notions to flight and shows us once again how man's thoughts are always too low and and our thoughts are always too mean and too earthy. While the Lord's purposes, the Lord's ways are high and holy and glorious. In the Lord's life, in the Lord's ministry, there was always a bigger plan. This was never about the Jewish kingdom. It was always about the establishment of his worldwide church. And this we see evidenced in the resurrection of the Saviour. The coming to life and the rising from the dead of our Saviour answers all our doubts and justifies our hope and confirms our standing with God. It's the Lord's resurrection that we look to for the affirmation of all that he did on the cross and all that he told us. That, the the Lord's resurrection, is the evidence to signal that God's wrath has been propitiated by the Saviour's sacrifice. That, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, it shows us that God's holiness has been vindicated and honoured in all that Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross. The Lord's resurrection demonstrates the acceptance of Christ's blood for the remission of our sin. And the complete removal of all the barriers to our reconciliation with God. It proves our acceptance with God. And we need to take note of this. We should all take note of this. Christ's resurrection isn't simply a grand gesture or some sort of poetic ending to a great story. It is the event in time that declares and certifies the absolute standing of the redeemed in eternity. It's the generous gift of God to encourage and comfort our hearts and souls in this life, in the midst of our trials and our difficulties in our time-bound existence. Romans chapter 4 and verse 25, the Apostle Paul says, Christ was delivered for our offences and raised again for our justification. That is, 
he was raised to declare our sure and certain justification and righteousness with God. Christ was always that lamb slain, even from before the foundation of the world. He was always the ground upon which the, the elect were accepted. But by his death and his resurrection, we find that justification ascertained, proved and declared. I said in our little introduction yesterday that I wanted to mention a, a few things about the facts of the Lord's resurrection and, and, and simply to do that just to, to show us how legitimately believable the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is based on the testimony of the word of God and the evidence of those who were present and party to what uh, went on that morning. And I want us to note uh, the evidence that is supplied by some of the obvious witnesses and some that are perhaps less obvious. And, and to that end, I've just, I've just collected five uh, little uh, paragraphs here to, to speak about these witnesses. Then I want to, after I've spoken about the witnesses, I want to just touch upon the disciples' unbelief at this time. And then I want, thirdly, to show us the significance of the Lord's resurrection. So these are the three points. I'll, I'll give them their headings as we go through. Um, but I just want us to think about some of the witnesses, uh, first of all, as we uh, contemplate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, as it is recorded in Mark and as that account is uh, augmented and, and supported by the other gospel writers. So the first, uh, the first witness that I want to call uh, to to the uh, to, to to the bar today, as it were, is um, is the world, the world, the earth, the globe on which we live, this sphere that that hangs in space. How can that be a witness to the resurrection of Christ? Well, this world of ours knows its creator and it acknowledged the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ when he rose from the dead. And why should it not? Why should it not have done so? It knows who Christ is. The world knows who its creator is. The world knows who upholds it with the word of his power. The world knows who keeps its form intact and stops it drifting away into space. The, word, the world knows who maintains its energy and its continuing role until it is no longer required. The earth quaked when the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead. It acknowledged the resurrection of the Saviour. The psalmist tells us that the earth and the sea 
praise the Lord. He tells us that the earth shouts, that the mountains sing, that the trees rejoice. Should we then be surprised if the earth shook again when the Saviour's soul returned to his body just as it had done when he dismissed his spirit into his Father's hands? So the first witness that we have is the world and the earthquake that attended the resurrection of the Saviour. And another witness that we have is the angel who moved the stone. He was a witness to Christ's resurrection. How eagerly that angel pushed aside the door of Christ's tomb. How honoured he was to have been called to such a task. And I think I think that's why he sat on the rock when he pushed it aside. He sat down on it, which is a beautiful picture. Uh, we 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 think about the fact that those guards were there watching the tomb, guarding the tomb, and the angel came down and moved the stone away and sat upon it, as if to say, "Well, what are you going to do about it?" And of course the guards of the watch could do nothing about it. But the angels delight to serve God. And the angels knew. They were watching in wonder as the Lord Jesus Christ performed and fulfilled all the steps and stages of the redemption of his people and the gathering of his church. The angels knew. And they knew that the work of the Lord Jesus Christ was now done. So that the Lord would not be, the Lord God would not be required to exert himself even to push aside the door of his own tomb. An angel was sent to fulfill that task for him and delighted to do so. I don't know who that angel was. Maybe it was Gabriel. Gabriel was the one who came and spoke to Mary all those years ago about the fact that Jesus would be born. So maybe this was Gabriel again, come to uh, announce the Lord's resurrection as he had announced the Lord's birth. But whoever, the angels were witness to the rising of Christ And I think that as we read through the gospel accounts of the angels speaking to the women, you can almost hear the excitement in the voices of the angels as they describe the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is not here. He is risen. Come and look at the place where he was laid. Here's the third witness that we have. The bodies of the saints that arose with the Lord Jesus Christ and went into Jerusalem and were seen of many. You know, I sometimes think that that fact doesn't get the the importance placed on it that it should do. 
This is an extraordinary thing that happened in Jerusalem at the time of the Lord's resurrection. It was extraordinary when the, ga- the, the graves were opened at the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it wasn't until the resurrection of Christ that the bodies that were in those graves came forth. Matthew chapter 27 speaks about uh, these saints. This is what it says, verse 52. And the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Now that is just exactly what Isaiah had prophesied would happen. In Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 19 we read these words. Thy dead men shall live. Together with my dead body they shall arise. Awake and sing ye that dwell in dust. For thy dew is as the dew of herbs and the earth shall cast out the dead. When the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead, the bodies of the saints came out of their tombs as well and went into Jerusalem, went into the holy city and were seen and were recognised by men and women there in the city. And Hosea chapter 6 and verse 2 also has a nice little commentary on this event. It says this, After two days will he revive us. In the third day he will raise us up and we shall live in his sight. And that is exactly what happened when the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead. So that's the third witness that uh, we, we have. The world witnessed insofar as it shook at the Lord's resurrection. The angels were witnesses in that they came and rolled away the the, the door of the tomb and delighted to do so. And the bodies of the saints arose uh, from their graves along with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the women were witnesses. This is our fourth one. The women were witnesses to the Lord's resurrection. And these women at first were afraid to speak to anyone. Despite the angel's instructions that this was what they had to do, they took courage at the appearance of the Lord to them. Their courage came when they saw the Lord for themselves. Otherwise, they had been, they had been too uncertain, too unsure, too, too much doubtful about their own eyes and, 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 and their own feelings and, and their own perceptions of what was going on. But when they saw the Lord, they took courage at his appearance. First to Mary Magdalene and then to all five of the women. There may have been more. We know that there were at least five women. Um, And there's something very delightful uh, in in this witness that these women bore. Um, Because it, it wasn't to the disciples that the Saviour first appeared. It wasn't to the apostles that he gave this evidence of his resurrection. It wasn't to the, the great preachers or the miracle workers. 
It was to the humble women. It was to the, 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 the least ones of the group that followed Christ. And it was to Mary Magdalene. And I think this just intensifies the uh, message that the Holy Spirit is, is giving us here. It was to Mary Magdalene that the peculiar privilege of seeing the risen Christ was first given. Mark tells us in, in verse 9, Now when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene. And I want you to notice what Mark says immediately after that. He says this, Out of whom he had cast seven devils. So this is what Mark says. The, when, when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. Do you see the two things that had been, have been put together there? Not only were, was this Mary Magdalene, not John or, or, or Peter or even Christ's mother, Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. Robert Hawker has a, a, a lovely comment, which I'm about to read to you, um, on this verse, uh, which I think should, should be a real comfort to those of us who have been most hurt and perhaps experienced most of the devil's uh, aggressiveness in, in, in our lives. Here's what Mr. Hawker has to say with respect to this, this little passage. He says, Did the kind, compassionate Lord mean to say by this condescending act of grace that there he will be most gracious where Satan has been most cruel. Did he mean thereby to intimate to all his disciples that the poor lamb of his fold shall have the softest lying down in his bosom, whom the prowling wolf hath most torn and worried with his claws? Oh, that every deeply exercised follower of the Lord Jesus would frequently think of this. And as often as this Magdalene rises to their recollection, would behold the Lord Jesus in this unequalled act of mercy. That where sin abounded, grace doth much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you, Mr. Hawker. Here's the fifth witness that uh, I wanted to draw to your attention. The high priests. The high priests. Lies and deceptions ironically witness to the Lord's resurrection. When these guards, when this watch 
which which seems to have been a watch of Roman soldiers, maybe even the very soldiers that had been on duty around the cross um, for for the execution of of the Lord, because Pilate is mentioned with regards to if this news um, gets to Pilate, the high priests would defend the guards uh, so that they wouldn't get into trouble. So it may well be that they were Roman soldiers, but be that as it may, when this watch, when these guards return to the priests and report the morning's events, they're bribed. A lot of money is given to them to claim that they slept through the theft of Jesus' body by his disciples. Now, not only was sleeping while on duty a capital offence for a Roman soldier, but the idea that the whole watch slept through the opening of a sealed tomb and the removal of the body in the darkness only pausing to unwrap the body and carefully rewrap the uh, grave clothes, fold them and leave them behind and then carry the naked body out of the garden is simply unbelievable. And anyway, how could they have known all that if they were asleep? So that the foolishness of the tale that the priests conjured up shows the necessity of having a story no matter how far-fetched it was because there wasn't a body. They didn't have the body. So that the very fact that they brought this story into existence showed that the Lord Jesus Christ was no longer in his tomb. And I just want to mention a little incidental providence, perhaps. Um, I don't know whether that's the right phrase for it or not. But it, it occurred to me that the fact that the Lord providentially allowed the Jews to place a watch over the tomb of the Lord Jesus Christ following his crucifixion and prior to the resurrection was a protection that was given to Joseph of Arimathea because Joseph of Arimathea having possession of the garden and ownership of the tomb would surely have been blamed for removing the body of Jesus had not the watch been present. So the Lord looked after Joseph of Arimathea by allowing that watch to be established at his tomb and taking away all sense of guilt and suspicion from Joseph of Arimathea. I don't have any doubt but that these Jews, these priests and Sadducees and Pharisees knew that the Lord Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. So that was my first point, these witnesses. Here's my second point, and it's just a short one. But I just want to, to think about briefly the continuing unbelief 
of the disciples. We see repeatedly through these passages how the disciples' faith failed them. They didn't, they couldn't remember the Lord's words. They didn't understand what he was doing. They still held this notion, if only something else had been done, if only another way had been found, if only the momentum and the power that we had had been properly channeled, it could have been so much different. Now, in many ways, the disciples' attitude, the disciples' thinking, the disciples' lack of understanding and lack of faith is inexcusable. And I don't wish to imply otherwise. But I wonder if their weakness might help us to understand our own weaknesses and our own coldness towards the Lord and towards his resurrection and towards his gospel oftentimes. Because is it not the case that we become so preoccupied in our time-bound state, so, uh, so full of our our imaginations about what would be right and what would be good and what would be proper and what would be God-honouring and what would lift up the Lord Jesus Christ. And then when these things don't seem to come to pass, we think, oh, these are missed opportunities. And we become discouraged and we become downcast like these disciples mourning over the death of the Lord when they might have been rejoicing at the imminency of his resurrection and his glory because he had told them so. But we're just like them. Is it not so? And is it not the devil's delight to rob believers of their peace and their joy, even to provoke unbelief? When the gospel is set out before us, when the gospel is preached to us. Let me just say something on, on, on this point. Let us remember when we feel a sense of our own failures and our own doubt and our own unbelief. That the Lord Jesus Christ is faithful to us even when we are not faithful to him. Here the disciples, the Lord's little flock at, at, at that time, was mourning, downcast, dejected. In fact, even when they heard the good news of Christ's resurrection, they still could not, they still would not believe it until almost as it were one by one the Lord met these mourners in Zion to open their eyes to see and to realize and to understand what he had accomplished and what he had achieved. Do you find yourself doubting even when the gospel is preached, even when you hear the word of God, do you find yourself with doubts? Do you find yourself with anxieties? Do you find yourself with uncertainties? The Lord will come to you too. 
with his words of comfort. That's what he does in the gospel. That's what he does when you hear the preaching of his word. When you pray, when you go to the scriptures, when you seek these reassurances. And let me tell you, that is what he does in the resurrection. Which is why I want to encourage you today to go back regularly to the resurrection. We're coming to this in a moment. Paul tells the Thessalonians, The Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. The writer to the Hebrews said, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Oh, we seem to waver so much. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Why? For he is faithful that promised. And John tells us, if we confess our sins, that is our doubts, if we are honest with the Lord, even about our doubts and uncertainties, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. May the Lord give us grace to confess our sins and strength of faith to believe his gospel promises for the comfort of our souls. And it's those gospel promises and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ that I want to finish with today. So my final task today is to remind us of some of these promises, some of these gospel truths that the resurrection validates and verifies. So that we'll remember the importance and the significance of the Lord's resurrection with its comforting doctrines of grace today and glory to follow hereafter. So here is the first one of these these assurances that, that we have in the resurrection of the Lord. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ gives us full assurance of the gospel. The gospel is true because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. More. It gives full proof of all the Lord's teachings, all his doctrines, all that he said, all that he did. All the truths that he revealed, all the promises that he made. So that our confidence and our assurance of the whole gospel is in the risen Christ. I sometimes encounter people, and it's perhaps more common than it should be, but I sometimes encounter people who say that they have trouble with their personal assurance. Part of the problem of that surely is that we are looking to our own feelings and looking to our own self, when in fact what we should be looking to is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is, it is not in us that we will find that assurance or the grounds for that confidence. 
Rather, it is in the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ was vindicated by his resurrection that God raised him from the dead. The Apostle Paul says, If Christ be not risen, then there is no resurrection of the dead. But if Christ be himself risen, then is he become the firstfruits of them that slept. And it's, we've, we've looked at these witnesses, these, these who testified of the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is. There's going to be many more. On one occasion, 500 people were present when the Lord appeared to them. There were many who saw him ascending up into heaven. And so the, the, the validity, the, the, the truthfulness of the resurrection of the Lord is what should drive our confidence into the gospel and the doctrines and the promises that the Lord Jesus Christ has made. Christ declared himself to be the resurrection and the life. He promised that whosoever liveth and believeth in me, whosoever lived and believed in him, he would raise up at the last day. And to prove this, he arose himself. Therefore, our own resurrection is secured in his resurrection. He said in John 14 verse 19, Because I live, ye shall live also. So that's the first point that I want to make here. That all that Christ said, his gospel, his word, and all that he did and all the promises he made and our assurance of those things find their validation in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here's the second point. I think there are three. Faith in the resurrection of Christ brings with it an assurance that the debt of sin that Christ undertook to pay as a surety is fully discharged. If that debt of sin, if that bitter cup if that cup of God's wrath had not been fully taken and drained and the debt of sin fully discharged, how could Christ have risen again from the dead? The fact that Christ's grave is open, the fact that Christ is risen, shows us that the law of God and the justice of God are satisfied. It attests the satisfaction of God. When our Saviour rose from the dead, he confirmed the gospel he had preached. And the God of peace brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this little phrase, the God of peace, that's not a common or a usual phrase to use for God the Father. And here um, the Apostle is, is, is writing that 
It is God the Father who raised the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. And it was indeed God the Father who did so, although Christ raised himself from the dead and the Holy Spirit was involved in that resurrection also, so that it was a work of the triune God. But often it is God the Father who is seen as raising the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. So that here we are told the God of peace brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ. The significance and the importance of that phrase, the God of peace, that God the Father is called the God of peace, is that the blood of payment within the terms of the everlasting covenant, which is called the covenant of peace, had been duly paid, received, and satisfied the debt. God the Son on the cross had fulfilled his covenant obligations and now God the Father fulfilled his covenant obligation as the God of peace by accepting the Lord's blood, by being reconciled to the Lord's people and by raising the Lord Jesus from his tomb. And lastly, let us not forget this important point that as the man Christ Jesus rose from his tomb, so must the bodies of all that he redeemed rise from their tombs. Our bodily resurrection is assured because of our union with the Lord Jesus Christ. We are his spiritual body. He is our glorious head. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead... This where the Holy Spirit raised the Lord from the dead. If the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. So that these mortal bodies will be quickened, will be raised again, from the earth, from our graves. Our bodies will be changed. I'm not making a big thing here about uh, whether it should be cremation or whether it should be burial. Burial is the pattern of the scriptures. Burial is what uh, the Lord's people have always done. Burial, I believe, should be the way that a Christian uh, uh, wants uh, his, his, his body to be dealt with. Uh, but as a personal matter, it doesn't matter whether it's cremated ashes or whether it, it's a, a, a burial at sea or whether it's burial in a, in a tomb or in a grave or whatever the circumstances might be about the destruction uh, of the body of believers. Our dust will be gathered again. Our bodies, our mortal bodies will be gathered again they will be changed. They will be changed because they were sown into the earth 
or into the grave in weakness by our death. It's when we die. It's when our body becomes at its weakest, at its lowest, that it is put into the, the, the ground when it starts to decay and it starts to dissolve. But it will be raised in power. The bodies that rise will be our physical bodies and we will be raised to immortality. Our Saviour's resurrection is the cause of our resurrection. And it is he who shall raise us up. Jesus of Nazareth rose from his tomb. The man Christ Jesus rose from his tomb. And by the grace of God, it will be me, Peter Many, who will rise in that resurrection morning from my grave. And you can fill in your own name there. Just as when Jesus died and the graves were opened and it was known recognisable bodies of the saints which slept that arose, just as Mary knew Lazarus, just as Mary Magdalene knew Jesus, it will be the bodies of the saints that arise in that morning and it will be us who arise with the Lord. He will change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, changed from vile weakness to glorious strength. But our identity, our self-awareness will be continued. It will be us. We may say with, with Job, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming back again and he will come back for his church, he will come back for his people, he will come back for you and for me who believe and whose bodies wait for him. But listen to what Job says after that because this is, this is really lovely. He says, I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin... Worms destroy this body. This body is going to decay and, and, and decompose and worms will consume it. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself and mine eyes shall behold and not another though my reins be consumed within me. Brothers and sisters, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ confirms the whole gospel. Every divine doctrine, every glorious truth, every promise. It assures every believer of everlasting life and that we, you and me, shall be raised just like him. Do you know that we'll even have an angel come to open our graves? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 16 says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them 
in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Amen. May the Lord bless these thoughts to us.